Well, the sermon title this morning is Fatherly Provision and Filial Honor. So when we think of fatherly provision, we think of a father's calling to provide for his family. He is responsible for them and he loves them. He is in the best position to provide for his family out of everyone in the family. So he is, he is ordained by God. Um, according to God's ordinance, he is ordained to be the one who seeks out that provision. Now we're also speaking of filial honor. Now filial is an old word that means a son, a son's honor. Sons are to honor their fathers. And throughout Scripture, the Lord reveals Himself to His people as Father and that we are His child, His Son. And um, the whole people of God are recognized to be His children, sons and daughters together, specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a passage that in verse 20 gives to the Lord these two titles, that He is our God and Father. He is God and Father. So as God, we need to see this morning that He is able to do anything and everything. Nothing is impossible with God. So that's encouraging to us. If He's our God, that means that He has no limits. There's no, uh, there's no capacity to limit what He can do. He is boundless in His resources and His abilities to provide for us His children. Now that leads us to the next title. He is a Father to us. We are His children. That means not only is He able to do what we need Him to do for us, but He's willing. As a matter of fact, it is His good pleasure for Him to provide for us and to minister to our needs. So as God, He's able. As Father, He is willing. We need to trust God to do this, to provide for us. That he, that, that he is the one who is able and He also cares in order to give us the things that He sees that we need. And as we trust God's nature and His character, we learn who He is. Who is God to you? Do you call Him my God, as Paul does in verse 19? Do we as a congregation this morning, do we from the heart call Him our God and our Father? Do you appropriate Him to yourself and say, He is my Father. He is my God. And I know that He cares for me. I know that He will advocate for me. This means we need to know who God is. We need to know His character. Now the result of all of this is found in verse 20 of Philippians 4 here. To the age of ages, literally, to all eternity, glory be to God. We will glorify God forever and ever as we learn more and more who He is. We will revel more and more throughout the ages of eternity in God's nature, in His characters. We come to better know who He is. But we get the privilege of knowing that now. We get to know who God is now. We should imitate Paul and the Philippians in embracing God as our God in claiming Him as ours and knowing who He is so that we will see His glory displayed in our life. We're going to miss how the whole earth is full of God's glory if we don't have Him as our God. And we can prove that because 
those that do not know God, the wicked, the heathen, they never, they never think of God's glory. But that doesn't change the truth of God's Word that the whole earth is full of it. They go around in an earth abounding with the glory of God and they miss it all day long. You can miss the glory of God revealed unless you are saying, you are my God. You are my Father. Unless you know Him for who He is, you will be blind to it and you will stumble over it in hardness of heart. So it is to the glory of God for us to know who He is. We get the privilege of seeing His glory glory showcased in our life. Now to that end, we have to trust God with our resources coming in and with our needs coming up. If we know who God is, we'll be able to do that. If we have confidence in God as our God and as our Father, we'll be able to do two things. Trust Him with the resources coming in and with the needs coming up. Those two things are really very similar. And I acknowledge that there, there's going to be a lot of overlap. And that's okay because this whole passage is a theme with Paul and it does fit together nicely. But we'll try to parse it out with that division of two points. So first, we must trust Him with the resources coming in. Now looking at Philippians chapter 4, we would see this point, uh, we would see this point proven in the earlier verses that we've already covered of Philippians 4. We understand that this section of Philippians is Paul's thanking them to this church for their gift to him. They have sent a gift probably a thousand miles by the hand of someone dear to their, their flock, one of the Philippians themselves, Epaphroditus. And he carried all that distance, this care package, to minister to Paul who was in prison. Paul wrote this letter to thank this church for their sacrifice. They gave up part of what they owned in order to share with him. Now in order to do that, you have to trust God with your resources. You have to trust that God's got this. God is handling all of the money or the value coming in. And if you'll trust that, you'll be able to sacrifice to the Lord and sacrifice for the sake of His kingdom and for the love of the Gospel. You will love what God loves so much in seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness that you will be able to give up what He has given you, some of it, in order to serve the cause of the Gospel. That they would have beautiful feet that go out upon the mountains to proclaim the good news. That's what the Philippians have done. They recognize that Paul is traveling far and wide. Literally, his feet are on the mountains and he is proclaiming good news across all of Greece and Asia. He is all over the place going by ship and any means that he can. Uh, he, he will go to get there to where God wants him to be to proclaim the good news of the Gospel. The Philippians are on board with that mission. They want to give with that. To, to give to that. Therefore, they look at what they have coming in, their total resources, and they say, yes, I can part with this in order to give to that. In order to partner with Paul, you bet, I want to participate in that ministry, in that mission. So they are glad to sacrifice what they own and to give it to the Lord. 
Now it's important to acknowledge that while Paul has been the person who received what they gave, the human that received it, Paul says it's really much bigger than that. And I think the Philippians also understood this, but Paul wants to make sure that they understand it. So what does he say at the end of verse 18? I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now he could have said, a gift well-pleasing to me. Now that's clear enough. He's, He's thanked them already. They know his gratitude, but he wants to make sure that God has received this as a sacrifice from them. God has received this as an offering that they gave to the Lord. This is how Paul also describes giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when he describes the sacrifice of the churches in Macedonia, which would have been Philippi as one of those churches. He says that they first gave themselves to the Lord and afterwards gave themselves to us, meaning they partnered with us because they realized they belonged to God and they wanted and everything they own belongs to God. Therefore, they also wanted to give of what had been given to them for the progress of the Gospel. The Philippians here are being obedient with their resources. The Lord commands the giving of both tithes and offerings. There is a difference. That's why in our liturgy, we separate them out. They're at, on the first page of our printout. They're at the very bottom of the second column. It says, Hymn of Tithes and Offerings. Tithe means tenth. So it's a tenth of an increase. It's not a tenth of, of income because uh, certain things have to be um, subtracted as a part of obtaining a, a profit margin. And profit margin is increase. So we're looking at increase. That's the word throughout the Old Testament that is used to single out what you should give a tenth of. And from that, the Scripture commands the giving of that tenth. Now in addition to that, there are offerings. Over and above that ten percent, the Lord has commanded that offerings be brought to Him. Now, these tithes and offerings are a token that we belong to the Lord. They're a token of, of our covenant relationship with Him, that He is our God and we are His people. We are acknowledging when we give our tithes and offerings that He is our God and He is our Father who provides for us. So, we have to trust Him with our resources in order to give a tithe, in order to give an offering. Put it in the converse. If you don't trust God with your resources, you won't be able to do that. You'll be incapable of doing that. But at at the time that you trust Him with the resources coming in, that is when you can look at that increase and say, gladly, gladly I can give up a tenth. And more so as I'm able. And as I see that that would honor the Lord and progress the kingdom. Now, the Lord commanded in the Old Testament that everything that opens the matrix had to be offered to Him as an offering or otherwise, if it was human, redeemed. What is an opening of the matrix? Well, matrix is a fancy sci-fi word now, right? But if you look at its Latin roots, it refers to motherhood. Everything that is born, whether of a beast or of humans, had to be offered to the Lord. Now that's a problem when it comes to humans. The Lord said for a human, you have to redeem 
that opening of the matrix. What is the Lord saying? He's saying, you as a people belong to me. And that's why you have to give back of the firstborn. The firstborn is the Lord's. It has to be redeemed and given back to Him because all of the people belong to Him. Now we can see this theme uh, among governments. And we can look specifically at a very old government in the Bible, uh, in Egypt, in the time that Joseph was ruler, at the time that the, the famine was coming upon the land. The Lord gave him a vision, a dream, of how to provide for the land. And in that dream, uh, they had to prepare by giving 20% extra to lay up as a savings. Well, as the famine lay hard upon them, uh, the people were still very poor. And they had to do more. They had to mortgage themselves to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh continued requiring of them 20% as a tyrant. He demanded more than God Himself, you could argue. Now, God's not a tyrant. Uh, Pharaoh doesn't really own you. Pharaoh didn't really own the, the Egyptians and the Israelites, but he made a massive claim upon their increase and their belongings. God really does own us, and as a gracious Father, He only asks for a token amount. He asks for 10% and offerings above as we can. As we can. Now these commands are uh, not abrogated, but they continue. Jesus, when He talked about um, giving in uh, the book of Matthew, He talks about the Pharisees being so assiduous and parsimonious about how they would tithe mint, dill, and cumin. That is to say, they would go to their garden and they had raised a mint crop, a dill crop, and a cumin crop. And they painstakingly reviewed that and said, okay, exactly 10 out of 100, or 1 out of 10, I will give to the Lord. And He says, these things you ought to have done. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the rest. And here we have Paul. When he when he says to the Philippians that what you have given is really a fragrant aroma to the Lord, this should send off a light bulb in our heads. Where have we heard this talk before of a soothing aroma? Well, this is all through the Old Testament. Now, we read one passage that brought it up about seven times or so in the book of Numbers, chapter 15. But if you were to read the rest of Torah, you would see this same expression coming up many, many more times that the offerings were a soothing aroma in the Lord's nostrils. Well, Paul is borrowing from that concept of the Old Testament commands when he says, this offering that you have given Philippians, it's just the same. It is a pleasing aroma, a soothing, fragrant aroma in the nostrils of the Lord. And it pleases Him. It's offered to Him first. And also, I'm the recipient of it as a beneficiary. But, but it's just as Paul described in 2 Corinthians 8. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And then they gave themselves to Paul in his mission work. Now we should note carefully here that this gift that the Philippians have given is an offering. It is not a tithe. The tithe is what is given to their church there at Philippi. It is given to the local church. um, And an offering is what is given to 
um, it is given in addition to a local church or in addition to some other ministry. And we get this teaching from the Old Testament, which commands, you shall not neglect the Levite within your gates. Now, it doesn't just say you shall not neglect the Levite. It says the Levite within your gates. So it specifies that that place where you go to be ministered to is the place that you should offer your tithe. Now, in addition to that, they would go to Jerusalem three times a year and they would offer more sacrifices. And those would be tithes and offerings that would go there. So we see the importance of this distinction. Matthew Henry comments on their giving and how it was giving first to the Lord before it was ever given to Paul. He says this, it was more acceptable to God as it was the fruit of their grace than it was to Paul as the supply of his want. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He's quoting Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. When we share, when we give, This is a sacrifice with which God is well pleased. Matthew Henry says, commenting on this passage, the Philippians' gift to Paul, it is a good work to succor and help a good minister in trouble. So as we give our tithes and offerings, we're acknowledging that we belong to the Lord. Everything we have belongs to Him. Everything we are is owing to Him. In Him, Paul... Paul preached in Acts 17, we live, move, and have our being. So He's completely our Lord. And we're completely sustained by Him. We're actually told in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, we are not our own, but we are bought with a price. Some of you may have been exposed to Rush Limbaugh, the radio talk show host that was uh, legendary on the radio over the past several decades. He just passed away within the past year. Whatever you think of him, he did have one expression that was precisely on target. And he would say this often when he would go to break or come back from break. He would say that he was speaking to his audience with talent on loan from God. Talent on loan from God. And that is true of every single one of us. Whatever it is, that you do that is in your wheelhouse. Whatever you do, fathers, that uh, puts, puts, brings home the bacon, puts food on the table, that is talent on loan from God. The opportunity to do that is an opportunity lent to you from God. And the, the income that you receive from that is income loaned to you from God. As David says, I'm a sojourner and I'm just your tenant You are God's renter upon this earth. Now, David's relationship with the Lord was so much more intimate than that. We know from reading the Psalms how rich and and how intimate his fellowship was with the Lord. But there was that place where the temple was being consecrated, that about to be consecrated, that he wanted to acknowledge that everything that he had experienced in this life only came to him from God's sovereign hand. And so he makes the point there. He says, I'm just a sojourner in this earth and it's as if you're my landlord and I'm just a tenant dwelling here, passing through temporarily. Well, that would be true of all of us because this is, uh, this is just a temporary home to us. We're looking for the new heavens and the new earth, which is also 
an immense gift to us. So when we trust God with our resources, we can sacrifice. We can give to what He has commanded us to give. We can give the tithe and give the offering. And and we have to do all of this guided by the spirit of contentment that Paul has taught us in these earlier verses we've studied here in Philippians 4. Everything that we're speaking of here, of being able to trust God, comes back to contentment. If we're not content with what He's given us, we don't really know Him and His love for us. We don't really trust Him yet for, for His kind intentions toward us and His gracious plans for us. But when we do know Him and have confidence in Him for who He is and who He's revealed Himself to be, then we glorify Him. And as we, as we trust Him with our resources and part with sacrifices made to Him first that advance the Gospel ministry, He is well pleased. And even to this day, when we offer tithes and offerings, that is a pleasing aroma in the Lord's nose. It pleases Him. I want to move on now to uh, this second point, that we have to trust the Lord with the needs coming up. So we trust Him with the resources coming in, but we also must trust Him with the needs coming up. Now this is important to get in context because the Philippians were poor. We know they were very poor. If you would look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, Paul specifies there that the churches of Macedonia were very poor. And Philippi was in Macedonia. It, it is likely one of the main churches he is thinking of when he makes that comment. And we know from scholarship that Macedonia was a poor region because of wars. that It had fought uh, several wars over a period of just a few decades had ravaged that region. That was the reason that they were so poor in that area. So the Philippians were poor people. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul commends them that even in their poverty, they were sacrificial and gave. Now this means that the, the Philippians really needed to hear Paul's comments in verse 19. What does he say in verse 19? And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So we are speaking of needs here in the second point because we're drawing directly from verse 19. Now what we should say is the Philippians needed to hear this because first of all, they were very poor. And second, they've just become poorer. They just gave some of what they had to Paul. Now they were obedient in doing so. They were trusting God to do so. But that was a sacrifice. And what really happened was there was a departure of value from their material ledger. And it left their houses and it went to Paul's jail cell. And it ministered to him as that care package. But that's not all. Paul doesn't leave it at that. He wants to make sure in verse 17, he wants to make sure they know that what they have done will increase to their account. What account? This is, we called it in a previous message, the heavenly ledger. Spiritually, their ledger has increased. So even though materially, there has been a decrease of value on their books 
And Paul's value in his books has increased by the same amount. It's not a, a, a zero-sum transaction. There's actually added value because the Philippians, in the process of giving materially to Paul, have received fruit in heaven. The Lord will lay it as fruit to their account. The Lord will not forget their kindness to Paul. It's very important then that Paul remind them in verse 20 that God is our God. He is our Father. And that is the one in verse 19 that He promises will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's be careful here as we read that not to understand Paul's speaking here as just a wish. This is not just some hope that Paul has for the Philippians. You gave to me and I'm very hopeful for you. I'm pretty confident that God will still take care of you. He is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that authority and with and in congruity with everything else that God's Word promises where He says, for I will never leave you nor forsake you, Paul adds this promise as a certain promise that they can trust. And my God will supply all your needs. This is a future tense guarantee of the, the Philippians having all of their needs met. So it takes the shape of a promise. Not just a, it's, not, it's not a wish. It's not something Paul's just pretty sure of. He is guaranteeing this and promising this to God's people. And it goes back again to that covenant relationship. He is their God and they are His people. On that basis, Paul can be confident in promising this provision. We have to be willing, though, to suffer need in order to even experience this promise. If you want to live out verse 19 of Philippians chapter 4, you can't get there to that place unless you first feel a need. And it will hurt. You will suffer lack. You will have disappointment. You will come to the end of your own ability to improve the situation. That's what we're speaking of here. That is a need. And those are the things that God will take care of for us as we wait upon Him and trust Him for it. It must be felt as a need in order for the promise in this verse to be glorious. And we need to make a careful distinction here between wants and needs. Between what you truly need and your wish list. Do this in a way that's consistent with the Apostle Paul's doctrine and with his experience. Let's begin with his doctrine. Now if we think back to some things we've learned in previous messages recently, we heard that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, Paul sets this standard for contentment. If we have food and clothing, let us be content with that. That is his doctrine of contentment. That's his standard. If you want a benchmark for what you should be happy with, as long as you have food and clothing, you should be content. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. Now what about his personal experience? Well, he details for us. And we have recorded by Luke, his companion in ministry in the whole book of Acts. All the times that he was sleepless, beaten, hungry, thirsty, uh, in, in great need. Paul was often in great need. He felt need keenly. And yet he could say, 
My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that not one of the good words that the Lord had promised would ever fall to the ground as Joshua said to the covenant people. Not one of the good promises that the Lord has made to you will ever fall to the ground. Paul knew that was true. And he knew that even though he suffered a lot of need and and he felt it to the extent that at times he was in danger of death. He tells us that. I thought I was going to die. He writes at the beginning of 2 Corinthians as he opens telling about what distress he fell into. So the need may, may be very pressing. And it may be very keenly felt. But you have to feel it that way in order for the promise to be fully realized. In verse 14, Paul again defines his situation as affliction. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul is afflicted right now. So remember I said we have to interpret the promise in verse 19 according to Paul's doctrine and experience. But also let's interpret according to his personhood. The person who writes this promise for us is recording it for us, writing it from a jail cell. Now I do not say that to mock at God's Word, but I say that so that we will be apprised of what great need we might experience. You may be in a jail cell and it will still be true that God will supply as your God all of your needs by His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This promise was not broken for Paul. It was still true and true with such a degree of confidence that he could offer it to all of God's people. So if we want to go to the heights of this verse and what it promises, we must be willing to go to the lows of what it uh, defines as a need. Remember that um, Psalm 84 verse 11 says, No good thing will the Lord withhold from those that walk uprightly. So as we walk uprightly in the Lord, nothing good is ever withheld from us. So you cannot falsify this promise in Philippians 4 verse 19 by saying it can't be true because there was that time I needed something and I asked for it and I didn't get it. Well, the Bible says no good thing will be withheld from those who walk uprightly. Even if you're hungry, that is. Even if you're thirsty. No good thing is withheld from you as you walk uprightly. So the existence of needs in your life does not disprove this verse. Instead, is a reason to double down upon this promise and to wait upon the Lord expecting that He will deliver upon what He's promised here. I want to comment on this phrase, according to His riches. It's an interesting way to phrase it. He doesn't say He will provide for you out of His riches. If someone provides for you in your time of need, They are giving to you something that is subtracted from what they have so that you can take possession of it. That's not how it works with God. When God our Father gives to us, nothing has been subtracted from Him. His resources are infinite. So He does not give to us out of His riches as if His riches riches had an outflow because we had an inflow. It doesn't work that way. He owns everything. The cattle on a thousand hills. He has made the earth and all it contains. 
So there can be no subtractions from his net worth. He, he, is, he is infinite in his resources that he has to give us. So it does not make any dent in what the Lord possesses for him to provide for his children as a father. King Herod promised half his kingdom to uh, the daughter of Herodias when she danced for him. The Lord could not offer half his kingdom. How would you ever measure it? What is half of the Lord's kingdom? Because there's no limit to it. Uh, his, His dominion is everything we can think of and everything we we haven't thought of that He already knows about uh, according to His infinite mind. Let's move on now to this phrase, in glory. He will, he will supply all our need according to His riches in glory, it says. We could easily misunderstand this the way that it's written. We could think that glory is a place because we speak sometimes of glory as a place, and I don't think that's wrong. I think we could probably even find scriptural warrant for it. When we enter glory or pass the glory, we understand what that means, and there's a biblical doctrine behind that. But we would be wrong if we think here of Paul's usage of this phrase, in glory, as meaning that there is this place we think of as heaven that has God's total net worth and investment And from this place or location, that's where He's going to give to us in our time of need. It is out of that bounty that He'll supply us. We've misunderstood because in glory here is not a a place. It's not a location. Because if it were, that would be, going back to grammar school, what your English teacher would call uh, an adjectival phrase. That would be an adjective in its function. It's modifying God's riches. Where are His riches? They are in this place called glory. Well, that's a misunderstanding of what this text is saying. It's not telling us where God's riches are. Instead, it's an adverbial phrase, so it is functioning as an adverb. It modifies the verb. How will God supply all of your needs? Gloriously. He will supply your needs gloriously. It doesn't tell us where His riches are, but how He will supply your need. He will supply your need in a glorious way. You will say glory. You will glorify Him as He supplies all of your need. So let's, let's be careful that we uh, interpret it in appropriately. And I want to I cite uh, some reliable interpreters. It's a father and son team. Uh, Cleon Rogers and his son, um, who say that this phrase here is used as an adverb indicating the mode or manner of the fulfillment gloriously in such a way that His glory will be manifested. Latch on to that. God will fulfill all your needs, in the words of these commentators, in such a way that His glory will be manifested. That's what we're to hold on to as we apply verse 19 to our own lives. You have needs. You pray about them as earlier in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 command us. You have needs and bring them to the Lord and you wait in hope that He will supply your needs in a glorious way. It will be incredible. There will be a marvelous novelty 
and freshness to how the Lord supplies the needs of His, of His saints. Now, I want you to think a little bit about stories that you've heard of God's provision. Maybe even things that have happened to you. Hasn't it been remarkable? Uh, our, uh, our hymn number 53 in the red hymnal um, says, Hast thou not seen how all thy desires have been granted uh, in what the Lord ordain, ordains? Uh, he has graciously given to us not only our want, our, not only our needs, but also our desires. He goes over and above, even supplying our needs, and gives to us even uh, according to the contentment we find in Him, the desires of our hearts, as we content ourselves in Him. But when you look at these stories that you yourself might have, or that you hear from others, or even that you read in the Bible, one thing stands out. And that is the brinksmanship of God. Brinksmanship is the ability to, uh, in negotiations, to come all the way to the brink uh, without without flinching. And so God does with us. He shows a brinksmanship in meeting our needs. Oftentimes, He he puts us in a place where we feel our need keenly. And at the eleventh hour, He comes through for us. Oftentimes, it gets tight and there's not much to spare. And this is how He is so glorified to work in our life. Think of the example of the prophet Elijah. When when he has to flee from Ahab because Jezebel, his wife, is trying to kill him, the Lord ordains a widow woman to care for him, the widow of Zarephath. This is a Gentile lady that the Lord has called to Himself and he's 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 uh, going to provide for this lady so that she can provide for Elijah. But how does that story go? When Elijah happens upon her, comes to her house, she's out working. She and her son. First, he asks for a drink. That doesn't seem to be a problem. But then he asks for food. And here's what she said: As the Lord thy God lives, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. She said, I am at my last supply of flour and oil. Me and my boy are just gathering these sticks to make a fire to cook a cake so that we can eat it and that's all we have. We're going to die after that because there is nothing else. And you want me to provide for you? You want me to share with you? Well, this is a woman who trusted the Lord with her resources. And she trusted what Elijah the prophet promised her because he said that she would never run out of that flour or of the oil for all the time that the Lord would would, um, ordain a drought. She would never lack a meal. And that came, came to pass. It was true. You see there the brinksmanship of God. You see how at the eleventh hour for that widow woman in Zarephath, He brought to her the prophet Elijah that she was to provide for and in the process they were all provided for. And how did all that happen? Because of her resources? Because of the Lord's. Because the Lord's resources are infinite. Uh, He has no lack. When When He gives to us, doesn't take anything from Him, no skin off His back, to give to us. 
So we can trust Him with our resources and trust Him with all of our needs. We can see this other times. We can see it in the story of Gideon. You'll remember how the Lord called him to fight the Midianites, so he raised an army. And the Lord, the Lord said, this is too many men. So he sent home everybody that was afraid. And then there was a further went on. He said, let's do a test of how people drink water. And whoever does it a certain way will be sent home, and whoever doesn't will stay. And it gets down to just 300 men. What's the Lord's point? Well, Gideon really felt like he needed backup. He, he really needed a bigger cavalry than this in order to fight the Midianites. They were Israel's overlords at that point. The Lord wanted him to feel that need. The Lord wanted him to feel like this is impossible. Except there's one way it could work. And that's if the Lord bears His mighty arm for us. If He sends forth His salvation, then we'll win. Well, that was clear enough with 300 men to overthrow the, the tyrant Midianites who were oppressing God's people. And this is how the Lord is glorified. He is glorified when it gets tight and there's not much to spare. And when we feel like we have no health left in us, when we feel that, that uh, we're just going to be crushed, what? Unless He comes through for us. Unless He delivers on Philippians 4, verse 19. And we find time after time that He does. And uh, even at our last breath, we'll only pass into glory. To use, to use the phrase there as a location. Even, even at our last breath, we're only promoted to being with Him forevermore and having certainly all of our needs surprised, supplied and having the fullness of His joy, entering into the joy of our Lord into the place that He has prepared for us. So we can't lose when we trust God with our resources and with our needs. It may take a very long time. You can think of the example of the woman in Mark chapter 5. I want to wrap up with this. In Mark chapter 5, we have the story of the woman who had an issue of blood. This was a huge problem because she was unclean according to the Torah. And uh, this had an effect on her social life. And it was, of course, also a problem for her health. And it was such a problem that she knew she had to see a doctor. She searched out high and low any doctor that could help her. She spared no expense. She gave all of her resources to these doctors. And over a period of 12 years, none of them could help her. And she was out of money. All of it was spent on trying to get healthy again. Now I want you to think about the timing. 12 years of this. That is a very long time. Of, of dealing with such an onerous affliction. And gloriously, her need was met. Think about, think about how much glory has come from her affliction. The glory of God has been revealed, not just to her and to the crowd that was around her, but to generations of Christians now. Even to us, the glory of God is revealed. In that moment in the crowds when she, when she told herself, all I have to do is touch the fringe of the Master's robe and I'll be healed. And sure enough, she did that and the Lord felt the power go out of Him. 
and the foot traffic stopped and he said, who touched me? Because he knew it. In that moment, God got great glory. Herney was gloriously met, but it took 12 years. 12 years of a desperate need. Prepare yourself then. Prepare yourself that you might, you might have to go quite a long time of dealing with a particular health struggle. You might have a, a, a problem balancing the checkbook for your whole life long. You may have uh, struggles in your relationships that you pray through for decades. These are all the various needs and there are so many more dimensions of needs that we can feel. These are all the needs that we should be bringing to the Lord according to what we heard preached in uh, Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 about not letting anything make us anxious. We're to be bringing all that to Him and trust Him that He will supply all of those needs gloriously. I want to close uh, on that with this with this quote from Matthew Henry. What Paul does here when he refers to God as his God, who is also the Philippians' God, who he promises will provide for the Philippians, what he does here is this. He does, as it were, draw a bill upon the exchequer. It's a British term for their treasury department. He draws a bill upon the exchequer in heaven and leaves it to God to make them amends for the kindness that they had shown Him. He shall do it, not only as your God, but as my God, who takes what is done to me as done to Himself. You supplied my needs according to your poverty, and He shall supply yours according to His riches. Let's pray to the Lord. Father in heaven, I ask that You would help us to trust You with our resources and with our needs. And we ask particularly, Father, that all of us here in this room that belong to You would do so with the expectant hope that You will act gloriously. Help us to not uh, be blind to the whole earth being full of Your glory. Help us instead, day by day, to see You glorified in our own lives and in the lives of other believers. Let us be meditating upon Your Word to see how You have always provided for Your people. You have never left them or forsaken them. Never once has any of Your good promises fallen to the ground. We ask that You would hearten us, encourage us, and strengthen us to believe these promises and to live them out. Also that You are glorified forever and ever in the age of ages. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand to worship the Lord? Stand please with your red hymnal. The hymn is number 95. Though troubles assail us. Number 95.